Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Why are Silicon Valley founders flocking to Burning Man? What is SEAL Team 6 doing with woo-woo technology developed by counterculture hippies? And how can all of this help you unlock yourself from your own mental cage? Jamie Wheel is the co-author of Stealing Fire, how Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work. Today, Jamie and I are going to discuss how we can all benefit from a better understanding of altered states. Welcome to The New Man. Today, we're talking with Jamie Wheel. Uh, He's the co-founder of the Flow Genome Project, as well as an expert on peak performance and leadership, specializing in the neuroscience and application of flow states. He's advised the military, Red Bull athletes, professional sports teams, and tech executives Uh, He's been working with Stephen Kotler, who wrote the book, uh, The Rise of Superman. You guys might remember him from an interview I did with Stephen a while back. Uh, And Jamie's the co-author of a new book called Stealing Fire, How Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick Scientists are Revolutionizing the Way We Live and Work. I found this book to be fascinating. And Jamie, I appreciate you coming on to talk today. Great to be here, Chip. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you and Stephen have been investigating these I, it's just like you guys are out there talking to all the astronauts and like in every different kind of realm, talking to all these different high performers, whether it's SEAL teams, the CEOs, these athletes, you're connecting these dots between uh, people that don't really seem to have connections on paper. Um, but you're, you're doing this to learn about peak performance and how people are solving problems. So I'm, I'm curious, the, the whole point of this is what you guys call non-ordinary states of mind. So what, what are you guys finding when it comes to non-ordinary states of mind and how these guys are using it to for, for their own peak performance and solving problems? Yeah, well, I mean, that was kind of this four-year mystery tour we went on because we were, you know, as you mentioned, we were we were sort of fortunate enough to get to be visiting these high-performing high organizations, the folks that are kind of interested in that trailing 1% that they can get out of their teams and organizations, everyone from special operators to, you know, Fortune 50 companies um, and, you know, and sort of pro world-class life and death athletes. 
And what we found, which was really surprising, because we were here to talk about being in the zone, right? I mean, what we just saw in the Super Bowl, all those kind of things, those moments where an individual or a group really click into another gear and where what they do almost becomes sort of unconscious competence, right? And so the the technical name, Keith Sawyer at University of North Carolina calls it group flow. Um, You can call it being in the zone. You can call it anything you want. So that's what we've been sharing and teaching. And what, would, what was happening is that time and time again, you know, off, you know, after a presentation or over drinks at a dinner, the following following a workshop or anything, you know, we'd sort of be getting pulled aside by some of the folks we've been speaking to. And they'd say, hey, psst, you know, really loved your stuff on flow, but was wondering, you know, we are using, you know, um, brain electrode devices. Um, is that flow? Or we Mm. are using modafinil or provigil, you know, some of these off prescription pharmaceuticals to boost concentration and focus. Is is that flow? Or, you know, hey, my whole team of engineers has actually been microdosing on psychedelics for the last six weeks. Is that flow? Right. Or we're going (laughs) to a a party. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or we're going to a nine day meditation. You know, you've got you've got special operating commanding officers, you know, going to nine day Vipassana meditation retreats. Mm. And so they were all continually asking us. And what we realized is actually the audiences that we were speaking to thinking that we were bringing something new and relatively progressive, meaning like states of consciousness can impact performance. And these guys were well ahead of us. That was our first kind of query is like, hey, there might be something bigger going on here. And and then there were there were two moments I remember. I mean, there's actually a string of moments, but but two in particular that really kind of bracket this. Um, one was you know, we got we got invited to Dev Group, which you know the, the sort of popular term is SEAL Team Six, but it's it's the advanced anti-terrorist or anti you know anti-hostage mm. unit of the SEALs, and we had been invited to kind of you know speak and present to them on again group flow. How can they drop into super high-performing teamwork? And mm-hmm. they poured us through this new multi-million-dollar facility that they just created called the Mind Gym. And that was where they were using all sorts of body brain tech in front of your your audience that are biohackers, a lot of things that would be familiar to you guys, you know, so heart rate variability and EEG tracking and all these kind of just cool, you know, sort of NFL combine meets CrossFit meets DARPA, right? It all bundled together in one cool space. And we went around the corner into the final kind of little alcove of their gym, their mind gym, and we saw four float tank pods. You know, so and they're called Samadhi pods, and they literally look like something from like you know aliens or Mork from Ork. You know, like mm-hmm. these egg pods, and inside are sensory deprivation tanks. So super salty water, and you climb in them, and you close the lid, and it's pitch black, and you know you can't see where you end and the walls begin, and you have a sort of literally out of body experience. And and the crazy thing about that is that. Those pods, for anybody that ever saw that movie, Altered States, or knows anything about Dr. John Lilly, who invented them back in the 60s, you know, they were the sort of domain of like far out hippie psychedelic voyagers. And and we see them and we're like, wait a second, here we are in sort of like the red hot center of the military industrial complex, seeing a tool that had been sort of a relic of the counterculture actually being used to train super soldiers. And we thought, now that is so strange that, you know, that, that, that the counterculture, even today, right? Yeah. I mean, in this day and age is, is sort of, they've come so far around, they can pretty much shake hands over the backyard fence. Yeah. And, and that, that little, and, and that, what we call that in the book is sort of this, this relationship between spooks and kooks, you know, that you've got the military industrial complex seeking tools of consciousness and you, and, and often trying to weaponize them. And you've got the kooks but the counterculture, right, taking these tools and using them to sort of sow love, light, and, you know, age of Aquarius, 
kind of stuff. And we thought, man, this is this is a fascinating um, sort of hidden story. Yeah. I want to speak to, let me interrupt you, because it sounds like there's been this one thread of like the 10,000 hours to mastery, that that was how we got to the highest performing levels is just more experience. And you guys, I mean, you say it in the book, you say you claim that altered states are a shortcut to good old fashioned hard work, strong habits and experience. That's going to piss off those 10,000 hours to mastery guys out there. So it sounds like, is there a parallel path here where yes, we develop our experiences, but then we also access these tools or practices to access the state of mind? Are they concurrent? Are they are against each other? What, what's going on there? So the idea that deliberate practice is essential is essential. There is no question that grooving motor patterns, that taking things from conscious competence to unconscious competence is a necessary step. But I think there's a key in what Andrews Erickson originally talked about, which is said deliberate practice. And so a lot, a lot of the devil is in the details of how deliberate are you being. And for, for Erickson, he was really pointing, and this is where I think the two ideas reconcile, is that deliberate means fully focused. Deliberate means undivided attention. Deliberate means completely immersed in the task at hand. And funnily enough, that typically doesn't occur in, a, in an ordinary state of consciousness, what ah. we would call 21st century normal. So like 21st century normal for most of us is hyper, you know, is, is indicated by an awful lot of interior mind chatter partially divided attention, right? And we're only kind of half-assing the thing we're attempting to do. While some of us is, you know, some of our attention is distracted into the past, what happened yesterday or 10 years ago. Some mm -hmm. of us, what are we going to have for lunch or, you know, or, or what happens if I don't make a million bucks and can't retire safely, whatever, right? We're, we're anywhere but the deep present, the deep now. Mm. You can say, hey, we learn best when, right? And we can reduce that 10,000 or 20,000 or 5,000 hours of practice down significantly when we attempt to learn new information from an optimized state. So it's, so if I understand you correctly, it's, it's not just putting in the time, but it's like, what state of mind are you in when you're putting that time in? That's what really governs whether, how, how, how much we're going to learn and how quickly. Exactly. And, and, you know, and to go back to the seals and the float tanks, right, they didn't just sort of just dust those suckers off from some, you know, basement at Esalen. They actually got and hopped up new ones uh, with some colleagues of ours at Advanced Brain Monitoring, and they, in, they included heart rate variability, EEG, and various light and sound feedback loops. And basically, they were able to put operators into a heightened non-ordinary state of consciousness and then let me learn something and in this particular instance they were learning foreign languages mm. and it used to take them up to six months to become baseline proficient when they combined it with the state shifting technologies of the float tanks and the biofeedback they had included they were able to take six month language acquisition down to six weeks mm. so reduce it right reduce it but you know basically a quarter of the time got it by attuning their state. And that and that's echoed across tons of other studies, both civilian and military, which basically shows that a huge slug of our capacity or facility for learning and adapting new information is depending on the state we're in when we get that new data. Got it. Got it. There's so much stuff I want to cover with you, so I want to keep moving forward. Um, you guys, is it ecstasis? Is that what you, how yeah. you guys pronounce it? Okay. So you guys, you guys have a term for this. It's called ecstasis. And what I'm getting is that whether these are action sports athletes or meditators or dancers or folks that are on psychedelic drugs, uh, people in exotic sex experience, they're all kind of pointing to this 
this state of mind, ecstasis that you call it, there are four elements that, what, what are the four elements of ecstasis that kind of that, that help us see that all of these practices, all of these things are kind of pointing to the same state of mind? Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, to be clear again, right, we, we you know, we had, we had put our, our sort of flag in the ground around flow states. And mm-hmm. so we had, you know, and, and the name of our organization is the Flow Genome Project, meaning what is the genome or the building blocks of those peak experiences. But what it turned out to be is it became a Rosetta Stone, because as soon as we had that genome, we then could lay it over all these other practices. And we're like, oh, here's sexuality, here's psychedelics, here's meditative states, here's other variations of flow states. And they're all tweaking the same knobs and levers in the body and brain. So they are generally, they're different doorways into a remarkably similar experience. And that experience tends to have four core qualities. And those four qualities, we call them STER for short, S-T-E-R is the acronym. And that stands for selflessness. So typically we lose our inner monologue because that part of our prefrontal cortex goes quiet. Mm -hmm. Timelessness, we, we, we drop all distractions of past and future, and we get pulled into what researchers call the deep now. So immediate deep absorption in the present moment. Effortlessness, meaning that all of the reward and learning neurochemicals from endorphins to dopamine, right, to anandamide, serotonin, oxytocin, all these kind of like feel good imprint, keep doing more of this. Neurochemistry lets us feel sort of self-propelled. It's the classic of, you know, you don't stop surfing glassy waves until you can't move your fingers, right? Mm. And you drag your ass out of the beach or, or kids on a snow day, you know, who will sled until last light and their parents are like dragging them in for dinner, right? That's the notion of effortlessness. And then the final one is richness. And richness is it refers to the amount of information that we tend to have access to in these non-ordinary states of consciousness, because our filters are down, our pattern recognition is up, our ability to make lateral connections jacks up significantly. And in non-ordinary states, we gain access to an additional slug of that. Now, in the past, that additional slug seemed so miraculous, seemed so non-ordinary or superhuman that we, you know, human, we have always assigned it to supernatural causes. It was the gods. It was the, it was the muses. It was, you know, it was possession. It was, you know, fill in the blank, something far out and not us. But if you, if you think about it these days, once we understand the neurobiology of it, you realize, oh, it's supernatural, but just not supernatural. It, it, it is us in a heightened and optimized state, but we don't necessarily need to mythologize uh, the origins. We, it's big data for our own minds. Okay. You talk about this being a $4 trillion industry and that, that we're already, we're wired to do this, to seek these, uh, these experiences um, and I get on one level, a lot of us are just kind of, whether it's conscious or unconscious, we, we're trying to escape that inner critic. We're trying to trying to find that selflessness because there's relief there. And then this book is like, well, how do we how do we use this to to go into more of a high performance brain state? But talk about this four trillion dollar industry. And I, you guys looped porn in there too because you say we watch porn to get high, not to get laid. So it's all about accessing this state of mind. Like, how do I just get out of this? Uh, my my job is boring. Time's dragging on. Like, is this just everything that we do to try and eject ourselves out of that into a different state? Is that the four trillion dollars? 
I mean, yeah, in part, right? I mean, you know, we, we called that. So, so just to kind of wind back how we even started that search in the first place was, you know, after spending time with the SEALs, after spending time with Google, after spending time with a lot of these organizations, we're like, okay, so it's clear that elite organizations are throwing a lot of time and money at this. They are trying to solve this. Hedge fund managers, like folks, folks that are at that top 1% are already in on this game. And so we wanted, we wanted to ask ourselves, well, does this matter to anybody else, right? Is this showing up more broadly? And if it is, there should be some economic validation that this is a real deal. So we basically said, let's take that Rosetta Stone. Let's take that kind of matrix of neurobiology of what pushes us into those, those specific non-ordinary states of consciousness, which we've been calling ecstasis, which again is from the ancient Greek, which just means to stand outside yourself. So it's basically those experiences writ large, regardless of the door you come in from, that give us a momentary or extended step outside waking self-awareness. And so we basically said, well, let's go look. And we said, OK, if if any if a state or experience from licit to illicit pharmaceuticals to personal growth, therapy and self-help, which is like help me get out of myself or mm -hmm. relate to myself in the world in a little bit better way. Right. All the way to social media, which is predominantly about distraction, not information. You know, we talked about, you know, IMAX theaters. Why do we pay that much more? Well, we pay that much more to be overwhelmed in our visual system by a 40 foot screen, ability to be in community with other people and experience that collective thing. So we pay a premium all the time to get out of ourselves momentarily. And, and certainly streaming pornography is an, is an obvious example where, where we are shifting our state and we're shifting our neurochemistry. We're not procreating, right? We're, we're not advancing the evolutionary imperative one whit, right? <laughs> we are doing it momentarily to get our yayas out and to feel, right, to escape ourselves in a fantasy coupling. So we added all this stuff up. Right. And we were super conservative every step of the way because we didn't want to overstate the case. And, and we thought we maybe would come up with, you know, a, you know, a hundred billion bucks here or there or something. Turned out to be four trillion dollars. That's amazing, by the way. Like that number it's is. Insane. It's completely insane. You, you know, you realize that's that's a quarter of the U.S. GDP. That's as much as the GDP of Russia or the United Kingdom or Brazil. Right. It's it's more than we spend on, you know, healthcare, K-12 education and Social Security. It's it's more than it's, it's twice as many dollars a year as there are galaxies in the known universe. And we are spending that on a recurring basis just to get out of ourselves. You guys call this the revolution that's right underneath our nose. It's right out here in plain sight. Um, and there's still, I can imagine somebody's listening to that and they're feeling this contraction of like, well, it's, that stuff's not okay. Whatever that stuff is, it's not part of the norm. I mean, we recently had Dr. Will Vanderveer on the show. He's part of the MAPS program. They're having phenomenal success treating PTSD with MDMA. And uh -huh. there's still pushback to these ideas, even though of the results that, that are happening. So it's like, we've been wired culturally. We've got, we obviously have the state that's, that's bringing in laws against this for, for, for good. Right. Um, but it sounds like there's, there's still some kind of rub up against this, even though the top 1% is saying, look, this is, this is where things are headed. We have a contraction. We're, we're going to resist this. So why, why are we resisting it? Well, I mean, I, th I think there's a couple of important points to note, right? I mean, the first is that that $4 trillion is not all intentional. It's not, it's not all deliberate. It's not all constructive. In fact, huge swaths of it. I mean, everything from online porn addiction to gambling addiction to addiction to chemicals and substances, you name it. There's a lot of us that don't know what we're doing, fumble and stumble towards that relief and create more problems than we solve in our blind efforts. Right. 
So as far as a big picture perspective, like so, so if someone would point that out, we'd say, absolutely, we agree. And what, what our advocacy is for is not hedonism, not like, oh, go and get twisted. It's good for you. Just it's go say, be blasted out of your mind all the time. That's yeah, not yeah. it. It's to say, look, there's four trillion bucks. That's unavoidable. We have to deal with that. That's real. So the question is, is can we introduce some cognitive literacy? Meaning I understand my state of mind and being more intelligently with more information. So I have greater choice and agency over what I do and why. Step one. And then ultimately cognitive liberty, which means, you know, and the experiences that occur between my ears are mine and mine alone. And I'm also aware of who else might be looking to like crowbar in and get some of my mind share with or without my consent. Because that's obviously we, we talk about that later in the book. But hedonism, right, our own wayward tendencies to just keep hitting that lever like the rat with the cocaine yep. is that. But there's two others. There's commercialization, right, which we're seeing all day long. These Corporations days. are going to use this whether we want them to or not. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically hedonism is one leg of the stool and then commercialization and militarization are the other two. And, and we would be we would be crazy to realize, hey, these are some of the most potent techniques for shifting consciousness, for accelerating learning, for creating community and, and collective mobilization. Um, and now the cat's out of the bag and no one else is going to notice this. You know, yeah. the it's like this is always this is for mortal stakes. It always has been. And we'd be naive to think that this is just unicorns and rainbows. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a little bit or at least I brought it up. I, I said that this was a fourth evolutionary drive. You, you've observed not just in humans, hmm. but in other mammals that they tend to go and find ways to get into altered states. You, you mentioned something about dolphins like messing around with a puffer fish and getting high doing that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that came out a few years ago, right? I think there was a BBC uh, documentary and they did some hidden underwater cameras so they could observe animals in, a, in an undisturbed habitat versus like scuba divers with big cameras, right? Right, and right. What they found was a pod of adolescent dolphins, you know, floating up near the surface and taking a pufferfish, which has, you know, nerve toxin in it and squeezing it lightly and then kind of passing it around to each other and then all kind of like hanging out near the surface where their kind of snouts were just breaking the surface and they could kind of see their own reflections. And it suddenly appeared to be a curious behavior. Now, there's some questions as to whether or not that neurotoxin crosses the blood-brain barrier, delivers a meaningful high or not, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that was just one funny example of, of what is clearly a much bigger trend. So that's everything from cats and catnip and cows and loco weed and baboons in Africa, you know, eating a boga to reindeer in, in the Siberian tundra eating Amanita muscaria mushrooms to bears, you know, and basically to, to elephants, you know, drinking from fermented bog holes and breaking into breweries and drinking beer. I mean, the bottom line is, is that not just mammals, birds as well, but I mean, like animals tend to like to shift state and will do so even at risk to their momentary survival. Why would animals repeatedly do this? You would think that kind of behavior would get edited out of the gene pool fairly quickly. Right. It serves as a de-patterning instrument, basically meaning we get stuck in cognitive and behavioral ruts. So we tend to do the thing that worked for us last year. We tend not to reinvent or reimagine, but intoxication can help break some of those patterns and introduce novelty into an individual organism or its ecosystems behavior loops, therefore is rewarded and, and you know, and, and persist despite its drawbacks. So step one, you know, the, the first three drivers is food, water and sex. Right. And, and Siegel advances the notion that the, the desire to shift states could be as deeply rooted in us. It's clearly pre-human. 
right? So it precedes culture even, um, could be as powerful as, a, as that fourth evolutionary drive. If so, let's stop moralizing and judging particular flavors of the month or decade or century, and let's start looking at it as an, as an evolutionary imperative, and then see what are what's what where are its benefits and drawbacks. Yeah, the thing I'm taking away is that this uh, this drive to seek states is something that could be inherently with us within us um, as animals. Um, what happens when we make it conscious? What happens when we destigmatize it? What happens when we take it out of the pathologized version? And we start to say, hey, how can this be helpful? How can this be useful? How can this heal? How can this help us uh, have uh, peak performance and solve solve the problems? We're up against some big problems today. We need a new way of thinking. So it sounds like that's what the work that's the work that you guys are doing. I was like, let's keep it from sliding into hedonism, commercialization, or militarization, and let's use this so that we can actually not become you know slaves to ourselves, but to actually be able to exponentially grow. Does that fit? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think that's beautifully said. And okay. and and the and the only. Um, the only kind of mild modification I would say to that is let's be realistic. People are always going to overshoot and hedonistically indulge. I just, it just seems to be the deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and there will always be organizations looking to bend this technology. And, and, you know, if you think of it as a psycho technology, literally these are the tools to shift state. And while it used to involve knobs and levers and brain, brain implants and that kind of thing, it's getting increasingly virtual. And at some point it's just, you know, Hey, with a little biofeedback and a little practice, right. Just with my own breathing patterns, with a few visualizations, like, right, we can accomplish what it used to take yogis and monks, you know, decades to master that stuff can just be democratized. So let's just assume that hedonism, commercialization, and militarization are, are, are norms. They're probably not going to disappear anytime soon. But if the, if we can add a fourth way, um, and that's really the whole premise of the book, which is if we can democratize this and open source it, because we really do now have the keys to the kingdom. We have the keys to unlocking multiple mm -hmm. beneficial and profound states of consciousness. That key to the kingdom is also the key to our cage, right? We can undo or we can unlock ourselves from the prison house of 21st century normal from these from the mundane de desacralized lives we've all found ourselves living um, and if we can propagate this if the tools are out there and if it's truly open source meaning no matter how many places it gets shut down or co-opted there's always a place to rekindle that flame and there's always an opportunity to share and distribute it among people who are ready and wanting that access right right um, you guys do a really good job in the book of of sending that warning. You know that this is not this is not a, a toy. That the, that these states are not something to be to be taken lightly. Um, and and you guys even talk about how to ease into them, uh, no matter what the practice is, uh, with, and mitigating risk at the same time. I'm curious if if you could share some of that. I, I don't know if you're comfortable with that, but in terms of ecstasis, like what techniques provide the biggest bang for the buck without the risk, so to speak. Well, I mean, short answer is there's just no free lunches, right? I mean, we all have to be like, you know, fully take radical responsibility for our own choices and outcomes. Right. So that's first and foremost. Um, one of the sections we talk about in the book, because people do always ask us that question. Well, yeah, pss, pss, but what's the best? And where's, right. that limitless, where's that limitless pill? And can I get me some? Um, and, and the answer is that, you know, it depends. It depends on your time horizon, meaning how quickly do you need the return on investment? And it depends on your risk tolerance. 
right? So, so we would say that the value of any ecstatic technique ranging from sitting meditation 10 minutes a day or three suns, three yoga sun salutations every day, all the way to like, I'm going to go down to Peru and hook down some wild ass, you know, potion with five MEO DMT in it and, you know, 15 minutes blast off to the back of beyond, right? That's a big ass spectrum. Mm-hmm. And to say, which is the best for you depends entirely on, you know, what's the, what's the, um, the time it takes to practice it or engage it times the reward, meaning how much practical integrated benefit does it offer me in my life divided by the risk? Because if you can lose your mind or your life doing these things, and certainly, I mean, we feature some stories of extreme athletes who right. used to come into the zone with radical, radical life death risk and realized they had to do something else or they were going to their number was going to come up. Um, to hair, you know, hairball psychonauts who risk, you know, turning their brains to goo by just spending a little too much time at, out in the deep mystery. You have to make those assessments for yourself. Um, but the simplest way we would suggest is, is consider it a tops down, bottoms up combo move. So we introduce an idea called hedonic calendaring, which is literally like the art of scheduling, right? Mm-hmm. Your process and, and you, you know, you want to sort of stack rank all of the things you do. And it could be from the kind of brush your teeth, you know, brush and floss your teeth every day, the, the healthy, beneficial things. I sit in meditation for 15 minutes a day or I do my yoga or my CrossFit, right? Things you by and large can't do too much of, right? You want those as your foundational practices on a daily basis. Once a week, you know, whether you want to call it a, a contemporary Sabbath or whatever you want to sort of name it, one day dedicated to deliberately cultivating higher peak states. Um, and that could, you know, through what other mechanisms uh, are comfortable and appropriate for you to monthly to quarterly to annual. And the annuals are usually the big kind of bucket list items. It could mm-hmm. be an ultra marathon. It could be a trip down to Peru. It could be a trip, a visit to Burning Man, whatever it would be that for you would be, you know, um, basically, you know, a re- no greater than a 50 50 chance of success. Something where you're really laying it on the line, something that takes a lot of prep, a lot of recovery and shoots you into a, a state or an experience you would never just get in your normal day to day. And so and like schedule that stuff. Right. And then see for yourself, because if you if you actually do this deliberately versus that unconscious four trillion or part of the four trillion, right, where people yeah. are just bumbling around trying to get their fix. If you do it on purpose, what you will find is like those practices have an accumulated kind of flywheel effect and you will build momentum in your practices that are that are additive. Finding joy, magic, mystery is sort of like everyone's white whale. You know, there's it's mm. the thing we don't necessarily know is out there and we, we spend our lives yearning and searching for. But, you know, the simplest thing is to say that these days go find your white whale. Like mm. if you. Don't die wondering if you're if you were literally still wondering as to the fundamental nature and structure of life, love, consciousness, universe, go find that shit. It'll be unique and different for you. But there are enough there are enough entryways to go do it. So once you've done it, the question is not, is it there? The question is, hell yes. Now, what do I do with it? And the what do I do with it is how do I not how do I integrate right these non-ordinary states and the information and inspiration they provide into everyday waking life right right that's obviously that that's the end game yeah i mean we can't all just like change our names and wrap ourselves in white robes and go live in a cave afterwards right we're we're we're, we're 21st century western householders and that's both the kind of that's that's the paradox and the gift i think of our of our contemporary situation well i just appreciate this integrated uh i call it an adult approach which is you know we we're going to access these states so that they can inform the rest of our lives it, the the state itself is not the the means to the like it's not that's what it's all about it's about okay i access these states how can this impact everything else that is important to me versus 
you know, pitting them against one another, which is what we see, unfortunately, when these guys are, are dying out there trying to, to do this is they're, they're placing them uh, against one another and they lose. And, and so I, I love this integrated place, like be smart, be an adult about this, be responsible and, and, and let these states, uh, let these practices inform the rest of your life instead of eclipse it. You know, you, you mentioned MAPS and you talked about, you know, some of their MDMA therapy with trauma survivors and not just war trauma, although they've done profound work with veterans of, of Iraq and Afghanistan, but also childhood trauma, sexual abuse, you know, heavy, heavy stuff that people carry. And the idea that these momentary states outside ourselves can, pr- can prompt with, you know, with appropriate support, with talk therapy, within grounded context, can support profound cathartic release and relief of some of those things. And you realize, okay, so why on earth wouldn't we be making use of the tools we have available to sort of wake up, grow up and show up? You know, wake up, oh, there is a point of view or a perspective on this life and mine, Mm -hmm. bigger than the stories I routinely tell. The grow up, ah, there's, there's gaps in my game, which I now see with greater clarity. And I can take some of this good feeling, right? The ecstasis, and I can plow that back. I take those peak experiences and plow them back into the valleys of my remaining growth. And then the show up. At some point, we've hunted our white whale. There is a there there. We've used it to mend ourselves and patch our bones so we can stand a little tall in our true sense of ourselves. And then show up. What am I here to do? Now, you know, now I've kind yeah. of my itches, I've kind of got my basics down. And we don't have to keep doing that till perfection. We don't have to wait till we can fucking levitate to give a, you know, give a homeless person five bucks, right? We can do this in real time as we continue to do this, but then show up. What is the radical, what is the most clear and on point expression, my unique capabilities here and now in, in, in just absolutely fearless service? I love it. That's a great place to wrap it up. Please go read uh, Stealing Fire. That's the name of the book. Uh, visit stealingfirebook.com. To, you can get the book there, but there's also a ton of other stuff that you guys are giving away with that. Uh, Jamie Wheel, thanks so much for this talk. I, I freaking love this book. It's just such a cool ride. I, I couldn't wait to read it every night when I would go to bed and just get another window into some other world that just didn't seem to have anything to do with the, the previous chapter. It was amazing how you guys were connecting all these dots. Awesome, man. Great, great to hear it, Trevor. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.